Merry Christmas. Uh, it is Christmas. Early. You know, you've heard about like Christmas in July. Well, we're doing Christmas in October, and you are allowed to start listening to Christmas music. You can break it out. I wore my red shirt uh, for Christmas this morning, and uh, I hope that we have a good time considering what Christmas is about, uh, but in a, in a special way, in a specific way. Uh, We've got to the line in the Apostles' Creed in this series as we're going kind of line by line of the Apostles' Creed, uh, uh, a 2,000 almost year old confession of faith, um, using the lines of the Creed to bounce back into God's Word to see what the Bible says uh, about who He is, um, what He has done for us, and who we are in light of who He is and what He has done. For us, And so we're in that line of the creed after looking at Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. It goes on to say, who's conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And so if today is Christmas, the creed continues, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. That's what we'll look at next week, which makes next Sunday... Not Christmas, but what? Not Easter. Good Friday. All right, so next Sunday, we're having Good Friday. Okay? The following Sunday after that said, the lines say he descended to the dead and then uh, on the third day rose again from the dead. That is Easter. So two Sundays from now is Easter in October. So October, look what we're trying to do. on, On the month of Halloween... We're trying to shove in Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. For those of you that kind of cringe at Halloween, we're giving you a little something something different to focus on. Um, We are, uh, yes, it is Christmas, but I want uh, our focus regarding Christmas and what is represented by the truths of Christmas um, to cause us to look upward and to consider, again, who Jesus is, what, why is it so special um, that we celebrate His coming at Christmas. But I also want it to propel us outward. Uh, I don't want us to just think about Christmas and think, oh, that's so special and sweet. It ought to propel us outward on mission since Jesus Himself was sent on mission that very first Christmas. And I hope that the truths around Christ at Christmas that we're remembering will propel us outward. We finished the line last week, and I thought it would be uh, right to just remind us when, when we say just before He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we said that Jesus was the Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And when we say that Jesus is our Lord, that is countercultural. It's not only countercultural for us now, it was countercultural for them then, maybe even more so. For in the Roman Empire during that time, they were charged, all citizens of Rome, to declare that Caesar is Lord. And it, would, it was the Christians who boldly, publicly declared, no, Caesar is not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. He, he is my Savior. He is the promised Messiah and Christ. He's the only Son of God, which makes Him alone Lord. Caesar is not my Lord. This is important for us to remember in Christians now in 2022, especially in October, looking forward to November when we're going to vote. In a culture in which a, sometimes certain political figures can become groups of people's lord, not only in laws and things like that that they make, but become lord in that that person is their hope. That mayor, that governor, that senator, that representative, that Supreme Court justice, that president is their hope, is their Lord. 
And Christian, I want you and I, from the depths of our heart, realizing how, how much better, how good and great our Savior Jesus Christ is, that we would put our hope in Him as our Lord. Yes, vote. Yes, get involved. Yes, have an opinion, but not one that puts your hope and trust in a person as Lord and Savior for this life only. No, we have a Savior who, will, uh, who has accomplished salvation for this life and the life to come, and He is our Lord. He is our hope. So let's remember that. Now, that was, that was a little bit of last week, leading us into this week. Uh, as a child, uh, mom and dad uh, wanted us to memorize the Christmas story. I think, I don't know if mom has it, but I think there's a cassette tape of little Brian and little Allison probably quoting Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story for grandma and grandpa, uh, for uh, Grammy and Papa, and to be able to give to them at Christmas time. How sweet and special that really, really is. And, and yet, there was an understanding about Christmas, an understanding about the virgin birth of Jesus. And yet, in my childlike mind, it was just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I mean, no one else was born of a virgin. So cool miracle, cool Jesus, that works. Uh, did a lot of other miracles. And so it just seems right. A miracle surrounding the birth of Jesus. But what I didn't understand until much later was how necessary the virgin birth was. That it wasn't just a miracle that went along with all the other miracles that Jesus did, but Jesus had to be conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, or else He wouldn't be, as we read earlier in Hebrews 7.26, a sinless Savior. And so that's the importance of Christmas. It's not just a, uh, a, a great story of a miracle of Jesus' birth that no one else experienced. It's that this is how God had to enter into the world so that He didn't inherit the sinful nature of mankind. And if we deny, as many people do, the, virgin, the Holy Spirit conception and the virgin birth of Jesus, we might as well go ahead and throw out all the other miracles of Jesus as well. It, for it's not fair to deny this miracle and to hold fast to the other miracles, even the resurrection of Jesus. Nor is it fair to believe in certain miracles and not other miracles. Like I've told you before, as my kids have asked me, which one's more important, Christmas or Easter? And my answer is, yes. They're both. They, we can't take one without the, without the other. Not only that, It's not fair to deny uh, or to doubt this while holding fast to the other. If we deny this, if we doubt this to be tr true, we're actually denying the Scripture to be true. For the Scripture says of itself, uh, speaks of this event itself and attributes truth to it. Jesus Himself holds fast to these truths. The writers of the New Testament hold fast to these truths. So if we deny this to be true and say, I don't, I don't think that actually happened, but everything else about Jesus, yeah, um, we're actually denying the rest, the truth of the Scripture. Consider how one author wrote about the uh, Holy Spirit conception and the virgin birth of Jesus. He says the virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas. And none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalism, informing us that all that follows to the same order as itself, and that if we find it offensive, there is no point in proceeding." This author was saying that if you don't believe this, then, I mean, why even continue on? The rest of it doesn't matter. If you deny this, you deny the rest of the miracles. You deny this, you deny the authority 
the sufficiency, the inerrancy of God's Word. We definitely don't want to do that. We want to consider these truths, how they are summarized in a creed and yet point to the truths, the fuller truths in God's Word. So let's consider the, the phrase, the line, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And, and if you have a Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read part of the Christmas story from Luke chapter 1, and then I'm going to flip back to Matthew and read part of it from Matthew 1. These are uh, verses that if you have grown up church, they're familiar to you. If not, then they'll give you the, some of the details surrounding the birth of Jesus. So Luke chapter 1 verse 34 says this, uh, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Her question to the angel who told her that she would bear a child who would be the Savior was how? How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called, listen, Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her, with her who was called barren. Verse 37 then says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We can flip back to Matthew chapter 1 and consider similar truths. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, in uh, Joseph's side of the story, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, re resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Listen. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This reality that is told in both Luke and Matthew regarding the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary gets at some of what we've been talking about even last week in regards to Jesus being God's only son. That Jesus, through this supernatural act, was both God and man. One might say, Truly God and truly man. And though I know it blows your elementary school mind when you're learning about percentages, 100% God and 100% man. How? I don't know. It is a part of the mystery of the Godhead. How God can, Jesus can be truly God and truly man at the same time, and yet is a wonderful reality that is worth worshiping him. So that is not only referenced in the phrase God's only son, but here in the conception of the Holy Spirit, we, we see that reality uh, made clear, that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, that the power of the Most High would overshadow Mary that this child was from the Holy Spirit himself uh, to uh, the words of the angel to Joseph. Truly God and truly man. Not only that, but the fact that Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit um, 
points at the fact that he would be holy, the holy Son of God. This had to happen in this way. This is where my childhood memorization of the Christmas story didn't understand that if Jesus was born of a man and a woman, he, like all other men, would have inherited the sinful nature of mankind. But no, God chose to enter into the world and to become a man, but not in the same way that other men come about. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God himself, which meant he did not inherit the sinful nature of Joseph and Mary. He was placed in the womb of Mary, nurtured and cared for in the womb, but was sinless in his conception. That's so important for us when we consider the type of Savior that we have. We have a Savior who is from the very beginning sinless because he's truly God and he became truly man, not inheriting the sinful nature of mankind. But not only did he not inherit the sinful nature, that's a great start, but he continued on that path sinless for all of his days. Even Jesus himself said this. I'm going to give you several verses. One of Jesus, but one of the other New Testament writers of what they say regarding the sinlessness of Jesus. Consider Jesus saying of himself in John 8.29, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus never did anything that was not pleasing to his Father. He always obeyed. Imagine that, boys and girls. Uh, Jesus, who as we'll see later, had other brothers and sisters, but Jesus never doing anything his earthly or heavenly Father was displeased with. I mean, talk about, you know, the, the great child, the great one, the favorite, uh, and how often you would have been in trouble and how often he would have not been in trouble. Uh, yet Jesus continued with that sin, sinless nature to be sinless. He testified to it himself. Other writers of the New Testament also testified to it. Uh, write down Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The writer of Hebrews, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hear that, Christian? Jesus was tempted in every way possible that you have been tempted maybe with different circumstances um, 2,000 years apart but the same heart the same temptation he was tempted uh, in every situation and yet was without sin which is why the writer of Hebrews would go on to later say what I read earlier in Hebrews 7.26 it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest holy that means set apart, innocent, not guilty, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted to the heavens. Peter makes this known in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Listen, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Something we ought to be able to practice ourselves following on Christ's footsteps. Or when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him, God the Father, who judges justly. He who committed no sin, it says in verse 24, he himself bore our sins as we sang this morning. The sins of him were laid on him. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
and by his wounds we have been healed. Amen? Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Again, we sang this truth, this reality this morning. For our sake, God, he made him sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus Christ, we, by grace through faith, might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew no sin, but he became sin for us. Consider that. Consider that. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, consider that the worst of you was placed upon him and the best of him is placed upon you through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So when the Lord God the Father judges justly, he doesn't see you, he sees his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That should give all of us room to praise and and worship and honor and glorify him. For I know my list. Uh, I'm embarrassed to think about my list of sin myself, much less for you to think about it, much less for the maker of heaven and earth to think about it. And yet it was laid on Jesus. And the best of Jesus is laid upon us. This is why Christmas is so important. It's not just a miracle that we you know, think, wow, that's neat. It had to be this way. Or else we would not have a Savior who was sinless in nature and sinless in life. He would have inherited sin. He too would have needed a Savior. Or if he had sinned, he too would have needed a Savior like we have. But he doesn't. Or we can consider Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, that is Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is why we say Jesus is the true and better Adam. Adam was sinless. Did you, did you know that? Have you thought about that? Adam was sinless uh, when he was born, but he fell into sin. Jesus is the new Adam. He too did not inherit a sinful nature, and yet he remained sinless. He did what Adam could not do. And so, though death reigned through Adam, life reigns through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.18 continues, Therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam, led to the condemnation for all men, not just some, But all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That one act of righteousness is Christ Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. Verse 19 goes on and says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. For all who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ and His sacrificial uh, atoning death on the cross will be made righteous in God's eyes. They will be justified. So we need to hold these truths. We need to hold this reality near and dear to, to our hearts. This is something that Christians have held fast. Listen, this is something that Christians have not just given sweet, precious gifts at Christmas for. This is something that Christians have died for. Died on crosses. Died uh, burnt at the stake. This is something that Christians have suffered to hold dear to. It's not just a cool miracle that goes along with all the other miracles of Jesus, though it is. It's so much more than that. If we don't hold to this reality and truth like the Christians in the first century did and all have since then, then we're missing out on a large chunk of the gospel. And it should cause us to worship. 
It should cause us to praise. It should cause us to, yes, look up and behold uh, more clearly who Jesus is. And I want us to do that well. I want us to worship. I want us to sing. I want us to praise. I want us to be prepared for Christmas, to, to sing even more joyfully this year. But I also want it to propel us outward. It, this reality has to send us outward as well. For consider that Jesus, as we learned last week, was the eternal Son of God. He has always been the Son of God, of God the Father, in eternity past, in heaven with, with the Father. But God sent and Jesus chose to willingly leave heaven and come to sinful earth, to wrap on flesh. This is the greatest mission trip ever. Just consider that for a second. Consider that Jesus went on the most costly, the farthest, uh, uh, the, the most sacrificial um, serving mission trip that anyone could ever conceive of, if you will. Jesus left heaven in perfect fellowship with his Father and went on a mission trip to seek and save that which is lost. To lay down his life, as Mark chapter 10, 45 uh, says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many of us know that verse. We, we love that verse. But I, I want to focus on one word that we probably don't consider and focus on as much. Listen to it again with my emphasis. For even the Son of Man came. He came. Which meant He was sent by God, which means He left heaven. And He came. He came for you and for I. He came for all who would repent of their sins and trust in Christ. Is that you? Have you uh, more than just a childlike trust that you know Jesus was special, but realized that Jesus had to be conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary so that He wouldn't inherit that sinful nature and remain sinless for you. That He came for you in that way and He did all of that. It ought to propel us outwards in that we too, like Christ, would come, if you will, to our neighbor's houses, that we would come to the cubicles next to us, that we would come to the table with our family and friends this fall around Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, aiming to share with them the good news and the hope of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. We too ought to be willing to leave our homes and go being sent out week after week, church, to be the church in the world. That's no different than what Christ has done for us. He was sent out by the Father to do something, uh, to seek and save sinners, of which we are the worst. And so we praise Him, but we also want to be sent by Him. And so let's consider that together. But let's consider the other line. They sound very similar and, and get at the same idea, which is why we're talking about them on the same week, but they uh, focus on different aspects of this reality. Conceived of the Holy Spirit highlights the deity of Jesus, that He was truly God. But when you say that He was born of a virgin, uh, the, the early Christians the Apostles' Creed highlights the humanity uh, of Jesus. And I know that sounds impossible, but you heard what we read in, in the Gospel of Luke, that what is impossible with man is possible with God, right? Uh, one of the uh, commentaries um, noted Augustine's words on this reality. It says that the more impossible the virgin birth 
of a human being appears to them, the more divine it seems to us. The more impossible the virgin birth seems to the watching world or the doubting religious person, the more divine it seems to us. The more we press into it and squeeze it, the more we realize how this was only of God uh, in, in the doing, not of Mary herself. One of the things that became... I became aware of this morning is, you know, just, or not this morning, but this week in considering these things is uh, Luke is writing this birth narrative. And yes, Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit and God the Holy Spirit could have given him every single one of these words to write down, but Luke wasn't there when this happened. And yet there's several mentions, two specifically in the book of Luke, that when telling this story of the birth narrative, it says that Mary treasured up all of these things in her heart. And it's almost as if Luke is hinting at the fact that uh, Mary and all that happened to her treasured those things in her heart and passed those things on Uh, to Luke and to others for them to know and and for Luke to even write these things down, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this is in, if in that sense, it's for sure an inspired eyewitness account, Holy Spirit eyewitness account, but maybe even an eyewitness account of of Mary's uh, uh, experiencing it herself. And so let's consider Again, let's consider the Gospel of Luke, this time in verse 34 and following. Actually, I want to get at the the previous part. I wrote down my verses wrong, but let's consider verse 26, the first part of the story. I read the second part of the story. Let's go just before that. Luke 1, uh, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And that sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that was told about earlier. And the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he said to her, and, and he came to her and said, O greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. To which Mary asked, said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Just in that short paragraph and extra sentence, uh, The word virgin is mentioned three times, repeated as if Mary and Luke and the Holy Spirit are trying to get across to us that this is a a supernatural uh, conception, that that this is literally impossible. This could not happen uh, with man, but only could happen with God. Or we could go ahead or, or go back to Matthew and read it. The, the following rest of the story of Joseph. This time we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And there, Matthew, as he often does, he quotes from the Old Testament, showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. 
Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which is indented in your text in Matthew 1 and says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew tells us, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This gets at the physical realities of the Holy Spirit conception and uh, virgin birth of Jesus, saying that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. We could think of that maybe as engaged, but they had not yet known each other. They had not yet come together uh, in marriage. And so you can imagine to Joseph's surprise when he finds out his wife is pregnant, the story would went on to tell that he was going to put her away quietly, you know, in a way, you know, break off the engagement quietly, being a just man, not wanting to do it publicly. And yet that's why the angel came to him and revealed to him that, no, she hadn't acted, Im- acted immorally. She hadn't been with another man. This was the gift of God. Her conception was from the Holy Spirit. She still is a virgin, Joseph. And Joseph, the story would go on to say uh, that they, she uh, continued to be a virgin, that they knew not one another uh, until Jesus was born and they had come together in marriage. And so this, this helps us. This miracle acts as a sign and a proof. In fact, Isaiah as Matthew quoted here, would go on later in the book of Isaiah to say that prophecies were given before they actually happened so that when they happen, you might believe. And so when you read in the book of Isaiah these promises, or when you read in the Old Testament these promises of the coming Messiah, those were given by God so that when God brought them about, those who experienced them would believe them and would pass them on to others who don't get to see them. And Jesus would go on to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still have believed. That's why prophecy is is given. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, God fulfilled that prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, in the coming of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. That's a phrase that says, when the perfect time had come. When, the will, when it was the will of God for Jesus to come. It says, God sent forth His Son, Born of a woman, born under the law. Why? Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus, again, the Christmas miracle, the Holy Spirit conception and virgin birth of Jesus is not just another miracle. It had to be this way that Jesus would be truly God and truly man and yet sinless to be able to save us. We have a Savior who's not just God plucking us out of this, but one who became a man and was sinless, knowing that God would be just and would have to punish sins He sent His one and only Son to be sinless and yet take the punishment for those sins, being man Himself, born of a woman, so that we might receive forgiveness of our sins, so that we might receive the righteousness of Christ, so that we might receive adoption as sons into the family. Think about it. The Creator, uh, as we... as 
Daniel showed us so well in the line of the creed, God being maker of heaven and earth and Jesus Christ, his only son being right there alongside of him, acting out creation himself. Jesus as creator of the heaven, heavens and the earth became like his creation. Jesus humbled himself to take on flesh. One writer writes it this way, in the virgin birth, the immaterial, the spirit, and the material, Mary's womb, were both involved, just as at creation. The earth was formless and empty and dark. Mary's womb was an empty, barren place. And just as at creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the Spirit of God came over uh, upon Mary. And only God can make something out of nothing. Only God could perform the miracles of creation, the incarnation and the virgin birth. And so Jesus takes on flesh. Isaiah prophesied that it would happen, that the virgin would conceive. He would go on in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6 and 7, to say, To us a son is given. I'm sorry, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Which means that the child that was born was already a son. A son of God the Father. It goes on and says that the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we are saying again like I said last week certain things when we say that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And we're not saying other things regarding Jesus' conception. And some of this may be familiar to some of you, for you have a, uh, a Roman Catholic background or a background that you uh, were taught these things. And uh, over time, as the Lord revealed certain things to you, begin to realize the truth of the gospel and that these aspects uh, that have been taught in some times and in some places are not necessarily true according to God's Word. And so we are saying what I've said up to this point, but, but we're not saying that we believe in the immaculate conception uh, of Jesus. We're not saying that we believe that Mary herself was immaculate or sinless herself when she conceived and gave birth to Jesus. The Bible does say that she was favored, but we can go back throughout the Bible and see that that word favor was given to those who received grace from God. Noah received favor. Noah was a sinner but he received grace from God, favor from God, to provide a way of salvation. And so we're saying that Jesus was sinless, but we're not saying that his sinless nature came from Mary, who herself was sinless. We're not saying that. We're not saying that, as some have claimed, that Mary would go on in perpetual virginity, uh, that Mary would always remain a virgin. Even one of the verses that we read said that uh, Joseph did not know her until Jesus was born, which highlights and hints at the fact that he did know her after Jesus was born. And we could go through the rest of the Gospels uh, and even see that um, uh, Jesus had other brothers and sisters. In fact, when his mother and his brothers and sisters 
um, came to him and there was a large crowd. People came and brought him the message saying, hey, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. To which Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers in that? Uh, the Gospel of John would speak of Jesus' brothers even disbelieving in him. And, and so we understand the Gospel record as saying that Mary wasn't uh, perpetually a virgin uh, or that her virginity was protected in some form or fashion in that way. No, we're saying that in the birth of Christ, she was a virgin. And that's important for us to not say more than the Bible says and not say less than the Bible says, but to let the Bible speak for itself so that we don't get uh, too far away from the Word of God itself and fall into one error or another, one heresy or another. It's important for us to consider that. But again, the virginity of Mary, the virgin birth of Jesus in uh, the creed is not even about Mary. It's speaking about Jesus. The focus here is not about Mary. The focus is about who Jesus is. And it should cause us to worship. It, the, the virgin birth of Jesus should cause us to awe of who God is and what he's done, how he entered into the world to be like his creation truly God and truly man. It should cause us to worship and praise Him for who He is, but it should also propel us outward. It should also send us out to, uh, to share this good news with others. For just as Jesus was willing to wrap on flesh in His mother's womb, we too ought to be willing to serve and to even suffer to humble ourselves, as Philippians 2 so puts well. One author wrote, the virgin birth of Jesus is an example of God's gracious work on our behalf. God took the initiative. Mary was not looking to become pregnant. It was all God's idea. Joseph had no role in the conception. His body was not involved. So the power had to come from God. And in a similar way, our salvation is based solely on God's initiative and God's power. We did not seek God, but He sought us. And we did nothing to earn our salvation, but we rely on God's power. In the same way that we receive salvation in that way, a world is waiting to receive salvation in that same way as well. And God has chose not to send Jesus again. Or to send Jesus a bunch of times. But He has chosen to redeem sinners and to send them out with the message of the gospel to make disciples of all nations. Church, I have and I could again, like many other pastors and preachers at conferences, bring up the great need of Christ around the world. I could even bring up the physical need of the world around us for, for uh, health care and food and water and, and just the basic needs of life and say there's a world out there that doesn't have those things and we've got them. We need to meet those needs. And I could go above and beyond that and say and think even more about the spiritual need of those people. Uh, this, the first I was talking about their earthly life. Now I'm talking about their spiritual life. And I could highlight the great lostness in the world. And, and I would do well to do that. But this morning, my hope and emphasis to propel you outward to live your life on mission is not only the great need that's out there in the world, but it is our God who has lived on mission and done this for us. He left heaven. The Father sent Christ. Christ left heaven, came to the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and lived a perfect and sinless life and then died for each and every one of us who have believed. Why would we not then do the very same for those whom He has left under our care in this world? May the, uh, the impetus for us this morning being sent out to be the church in the world be the Holy Spirit conception 
and the virgin birth of Jesus. And if you've yet, if, if you like many, some who are here this morning who at one time in their life doubted or didn't realize how important it was, if you have yet to put your faith and hope in this Jesus, one who is truly God and truly man, who did not inherit a sinful nature and remained sinless his entire life and yet died for you, was buried and rose from the dead for you, who lived his life on this earth for 40 days and ascended to the right hand of the Father for you and is now there interceding for you. If you have yet to trust in that Christ, in that Jesus, to be your Savior, I cannot encourage you, urge you enough this morning. He is worthy. He is the only Savior uh, that this world has. And I put him before you this morning and encourage you to repent and believe and trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for willingly um, sending your son whom you experienced perfect fellowship in eternity past with and you sent him to this earth. And at one point, when he died on the cross, the Bible makes it clear that you turned your face away from him. Jesus, you cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the only moment in history, the Father and the Son did not experience perfect fellowship when Jesus was bearing the sins of the world. Jesus, that is the greatest mission trip that we could ever consider. And we owe you all thanks and all praise for taking our punishment and offering us forgiveness and eternal life. Holy Spirit, I thank you for strengthening and enabling Jesus to do that very thing. And thank you for opening our eyes to see that to be true. Thank you this morning for, as we sang earlier, speaking and teaching us that which we do not already know. And I pray, Lord, you have caused us to look upwards to be in awe of you and praise you, but I pray you would also propel us outwards on mission, the same mission you came on and sent us on to make disciples of all nations. May we be a church encouraged and challenged by the Holy Spirit conception and virgin birth of Jesus to be the church in the world this week. And Lord, I pray that you would save those who this morning might repent and believe in you for their salvation. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.